Was Paul a countercultural revolutionary who was throwing aside the social constructs of gender 2,000 years before it was cool? In this episode, we're going to find out. Hey everyone, Ray Burns here, and in this episode, I want to equip you to understand what's really going on in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Today, when we read this verse, it's very easy to apply our own understanding to what it might be saying, what it might mean, and how that applies to our culture today. So let's briefly look at the verse in question, talk about how other people might understand it today, and then, using the Bible, see what is really going on in this verse. So Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So when we take this verse on its own, we can make it say a lot of things, and especially a lot of things that would be really nice to be able to believe in in our culture today. Because the key part here that a lot of people are misunderstanding is what Paul means when he says that there is no male and female. Because if that is the case, if as God looks at us, if he doesn't see gender, if he doesn't care about whether we're male or female, then that opens up a whole lot of things that closed-minded Christians have been fighting about for a long time. That means that there can be no such thing as the sin of homosexuality because you can't have a man in relationship with another man or a woman in relationship with, with another woman if those things don't even exist because of Jesus Christ. Similarly, the gender identity issue suddenly becomes a non-issue because there is no gender. God doesn't care what gender you are. So again, this verse is a popular one, it's a debated one, and it's an often used one as sort of a trump card to say, look, we don't need to worry about these things that Christians call sin, or some Christians call sin, because gender is not a thing. Gender is just this social construct. It's something that we need to stop putting so much emphasis on because if God doesn't care about it, if Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, has freed us from the confines of gender, then why would we keep revisiting it? But again, we have to ask, is that really what Galatians 3.28 is saying? Is Paul really, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pointing out that there is no more gender whatsoever, that God does not care about our gender? And therefore, there is no such thing as homosexuality, and there is no such thing as gender identity, at least to the degree that we should care about it. Well, as always... Context is going to help us to understand what's really going on in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. So the bigger context of what's going on here is that Paul is writing to a group of people, as with every letter, right? These things aren't written in a vacuum. Paul didn't just walk by, chuck a grenade, say there's no such thing as gender, and then walk away, right? He's, he's a specific person in a specific time speaking to a specific group of people. Now, the specific people he's talking to are Christians in a town called Galatia. Uh, Paul had uh, come through and 
more or less founded the church there, right? He was God's tool in converting the people there. He taught them, equipped them, and left them as their own church, and left and continued on his missionary journeys. Well, in time, as this new church of baby Christians started growing, people started distorting the gospel. They were not staying true to what the Old Testament was saying or what the teachings of Paul had left them with, or even maybe what uh, God had been revealing through prophecy at that time. Instead, people were coming up with all kinds of things to hang on Christianity, right? To hang on their new life in Christ. And so within this particular church, there was this growing belief that Christians were still obligated to keep the Mosaic Law. So things like the Ten Commandments, things like all the stuff written in the books of the law back when you know Moses and Israel were being given all these laws. What this church was believing, or what some people were teaching in this church, is that you had to hold all of these laws as well as put your full faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. The reason being is essentially they were saying that without the law, you're going to have chaos. You're going to have absolute lawlessness, right? People aren't going to know how to act, how to behave, because they will have no guidance without this rigid law that God had given to Israel. And so they were holding up this law as something that either saves you or something that you have to follow to the T to be justified before God, to, to earn your salvation, to keep your salvation, whatever it was. And so not only were these people saying that it is faith in Jesus Christ plus your works, but these false teachers were even throwing shade at Paul and calling into question his authority to say anything different. And so that is what Paul is writing into. Now, the reason that I say all that is because before we can get to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, we need to understand what has led up to him saying this maybe confusing statement, because he doesn't just say it out of nowhere. This, this sentence doesn't exist just in isolation. It is part of a much bigger thought and an argument that Paul is building throughout this letter to this church. And so what we need to do before we can really understand what's happening here is we need to understand how we get there in the first place. So I don't want to spend tons of time on this, but what is being said here is very easy. It's very simple, and it's probably very different than what a lot of people assume it is. But it's only simple when we look at the basically the case that Paul is building that leads him to make this sort of conclusive declaration. So in chapters one and two, Paul is basically defending himself as an apostle, right? He's laying some groundwork, some foundation as he is addressing this church, as he is calling into correction these false beliefs and especially these false teachers who were leading them astray. And so after Paul has kind of reminded them who he is, not that he is anyone special, but that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, a true apostle, he then goes in and in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, he says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, 
even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. So here Paul is now transitioning from his qualifications into this nonsense about how they need the law plus their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Paul points out here that a man is not justified by works of the law. He basically just completely counters what they're saying, saying that by the works of the law, no flesh, meaning no person, nothing we do can justify how we've broken God's law. We can do nothing to save ourselves. We can do nothing to maintain our salvation. The law does not and cannot save us. And so from here, Paul's going to launch into a pretty scathing accusation against this church. So he says to them, Oh, foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Now, on us, this is probably lost, but in a pagan culture, to bewitch someone would basically to put them under a spell, to put them in a trance, to essentially mind control them, right? To to cast a spell and to control a person's thoughts. And so what Paul's kind of getting at here in this, you know, bit of snarkiness of his is he's basically saying it the only reason that it makes sense that you have fallen so far from pure absolute faith in Jesus Christ to insisting that you need to go back to following the law is if someone cast a spell on you because certainly the faith that you had in Jesus Christ would not lead you to this false understanding of salvation through works of the law. And so he says, you know, oh, there has to be a spell cast on you right now. Obviously, Paul knows there's not, but just kind of just showing the intensity of how wrong this belief system of theirs is and how far from the truth they have fallen. And then he goes on to say, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Yet this is the only thing I want to learn from you. And here's where he's going to bring it back down. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, obviously, the answer is that they received the Holy Spirit, right? The, the one who seals us for salvation, the one who dwells inside of Christians today. He's saying, obviously, you gained the Spirit by faith. You didn't work hard to earn the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You did not work to earn the saving power of Jesus Christ. It wasn't by works of the law. And so then he goes on and says, are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? In other words, if it's the spirit that saved you, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Again, why would you go from this, this beautiful thing of salvation through Jesus Christ alone to now trying to hang your works, your dead, rotten works on the perfect work of Jesus Christ? Now, for sake of not making this too long, I'm going to skip to verse 19, but I would encourage you to go through and read really all of Galatians chapter 3, because in that, Paul then launches off of, why do you think you're saved by works? And then he kind of attacks a problem that was kind of prevalent often with Jewish audiences who had been saved by Jesus Christ in that day. And that was that they were hanging so much value or finding so much of their identity in their, their bloodline, in their heritage, because they were the ones who had inherited, you know, 
the 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 Jewish lineage essentially. They were the the sons and daughters of Abraham. You know, they were the blood children of the promise. Yeah, sure. You know, these Gentiles, these people who come from other families and other bloodlines, good for them. They've got salvation, but they're not like us. They're not Jewish Christians who have been saved. They're not special like we are. And so Paul then goes on and kind of attacks probably where this idea of keeping the law came from. Basically, that these people were likely thinking that because they were Christians, but also because they were Jews, if they could merge both of those together, they would be super Christians. And so Paul really just gets at the fact that they cannot find their identity in their Jewish heritage, that they are not special, they are not unique, that they they don't find their identity in who their grandparents were. Then one of the last things he kind of talks about before getting into where we're going to pick up is that receiving the law didn't make them any better off. Because if you remember in the Old Testament, the Jews are the ones who received things like the Ten Commandments and the whole rest of the law from God. And there were people outside the nation of Israel who could become followers of God. They could dedicate themselves to God, but the law was given to and kept by Israel. And so Paul basically says, you aren't special because you received the law. You are in just as dark of a place as everyone else. Without Jesus Christ, everyone is equally lost. And then he picks up here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 to 22, saying, why the law then? In other words, if receiving the law didn't make us special, why was the law given in the first place? If the law doesn't save us, what's the point of it? So he goes on and he explains, the law was added because of trespasses or transgressions, basically sin. Having been ordained through angels by the hand of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. So the seed, of course, would be Jesus Christ. So the law was meant to exist until a certain time. It wasn't this thing that existed eternally, but it was meant to be binding. It was meant to be followed. It was meant to do something for a certain length of time. Now, a mediator is not for one person only, whereas God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Again, making it very clear. If there was a law, if there was some power within good works, essentially, right? Keeping all the the commands of God. If that in and of itself could save us, then that would save us, right? That would be what God would call us to. That would be salvation is found in your ability to keep the law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. In other words, we can't escape our sins. In fact, it's the law that reveals how sinful we are, how bound we are by our sinfulness and why we are enemies of God and why no amount of supposed good that we do can possibly save us. And then he concludes, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So at this point, you might be forgiven for saying, okay, Where's the whole gender thing then? What is going on? Why are we talking about the law? Why are we talking about salvation? That's the point. Paul is making an argument. He is building up to what he's about to say about how there is no man or woman through Jesus Christ. 
And we have to understand what Paul is hammering on again and again and again in the sentences, in the paragraphs leading up to this statement. But now he's going to go on and say that not only can the law not save, but he's also going to explain why it's no longer in effect over the lives of Christians. So in Galatians 3, 23 to 25, it says, But before faith came, we were held in custody under the law, being shut up for the coming of faith to be revealed. Therefore, so because the law shut us up, because we were in custody to the law, right? The law was our jailkeeper. The law held us. The, the law revealed our sinfulness to us. Therefore, the law has become our tutor unto Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So what's that saying there? The law was our tutor. It taught us. It pointed us to Jesus Christ. It was not our means of attaining Jesus Christ. It's not our means of keeping Jesus Christ. How we have violated God's law is what points us to our need for a savior. It reveals that we can do nothing to save ourselves. That was the purpose and intention of the law. Then and today, the law is not something that we add on to Jesus Christ. It's not something we do to earn Jesus Christ. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Obviously not, right? When you, when you are on something like Google Maps and you're going to a destination, when you arrive there, you don't keep looking at Google Maps. Google Maps did its job. It got you to where you needed to go. It pointed you in the right direction. But Jesus is the substance. The law is not. The law is just something that shows us why we need Jesus Christ in the first place. And then here, like I said, Paul is building a case for something. He has addressed the need to keep the law, and he has addressed the kind of prejudicial mindset that people had where they were separating Jews from Gentiles and saying that one group was more valuable than another. And so now he's going to circle back to that in verses 26 and 27. He says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, he just made this huge sweeping argument about how the law doesn't save us. The law pointed us to Jesus Christ. And now he makes this beautiful freeing statement and a reminder that we are all sons of God through Jesus Christ. And he says, For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so here's the question that's probably on a lot of people's minds as they're reading this letter 2,000 years ago. Why? Why does the law not save? Why are we all considered children of God equally? How is this possible that throughout all of the Old Testament history, it seemed like the Jews were these really special group, right? Israel was the, the chosen nation of God. How then can there be no power in that? How can there be no value in one person being from one nation? Or how can someone not lack value by being part of a different nation? And that is what Paul is driving at. This is where he puts that capstone statement on why Jews and Gentiles are not in different classes, in different value categories. Paul then says... There is neither Jew nor Greek. So this, this whole separation thing, this whole racial divide that they had, this whole lineage deal, to God, there is no Jew or Greek when he values someone. There is neither slave nor free man. 
again, in that culture, it's not surprising to find that if someone was free, whereas if someone was a slave, it was assumed that someone had much greater value to their lives, that they were worth more, that they were more important. As you see in the book of James, you know, they were given certain people seemed to to deserve places of elevation, whereas others deserve to just sit on the floor. Paul saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no, that's not how it works. Then he goes on with that, that controversial statement, that one that started us all, there is neither male nor female. So what is Paul saying here? Is he really saying that gender and and national bloodlines and and citizenship and things like that, uh, social status, you know, whether slave or free person, are those things really just all gone? Have they been abolished? Well, no, because that's not what Paul's been getting at. Paul's not talking about who we are and where our identities are. What Paul is talking about is that no one is more or less valuable No one is more deserving. No one is more or less than another person because of Jesus Christ. And he says here, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. The reality is that Galatians 3.28 has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with sexuality. It has nothing to do with, with gender identity. Whenever we try to hang our modern ideologies on what a verse seems to say, especially if it seems to justify what we already want to believe, we completely rob it of its true power and its true beauty. Because again, look at everything that Paul had been building up to, the beauty that we are saved by Jesus Christ alone, not works, that all people are equally valuable, equally deserving of God's wrath, and equally undeserving of salvation through Jesus Christ. Just because someone is from the nation of Israel doesn't make them a little more worthy, a little more deserving of the grace of God in saving them. God doesn't look at someone and say, you're a man, you're a woman, therefore you are you deserve this much of my grace. He doesn't look at people and say, oh, because of your social status, your wealth, who you are, what you've done, you're more or less deserving. He doesn't look at us that way. That's not how salvation works. And that is what this is talking about. Salvation and justification. What Jesus Christ did, what we do to deserve it, which is nothing, what we do to keep it, which is nothing. This is all about how good our God is, that he sees beyond these divides that our world creates. Because the culture of that time made Paul's statements way more radical than we understand. If you were, in this culture here, people thought that if you were a Jewish free man, that you had basically won the lotto. You were the highest tier of human being. You, You were blessed in every way possible. On the flip side, if you were a non-Jewish enslaved woman, you were bottom barrel, right? Because everything about you, everything about your identity, everything about how people looked at you and judged you was completely undeserving of anything good. But Paul says, no, that is not how God values people. But Paul also does not say that those things no longer exist. God is not gender blind. 
you know, God isn't just saying, oh, just, just throw it all out and we're going to get rid of all these social constructs. Because we also need to remember that Paul, the guy who we are saying completely just wiped out gender identities and and freed us up to practice homosexuality because there's no such thing as, as male or female. This is the same Paul who in Romans 1 talked about the sin of homosexuality. This is the same Paul who said that a woman is not to teach over a man. This is the same Paul who encouraged a slave to go back to his master rather than setting that slave free. It makes no sense, both in the context of what we read in Galatians, as well as other things that are said in the New Testament, to make Galatians 3.28 be something about sexuality or gender identity. It just doesn't work. It, it's not true to God's word. Therefore, it's not true to God. And if it's not true to God, it has to be false. And as I said, we miss so much of the power of what this is saying. Because a better takeaway of not just Galatians 3.28, but Galatians chapter 3 in, in its entirety, is that your value and my value isn't found in our gender, in our nationality or our race, and it's not found in our social status. When God looks at us, he doesn't see all the things that we are in terms of, of you know, how the world checks a box next to our name. God doesn't look at us and see what we've done. Instead, our status before our good and holy and perfect Heavenly Father is based solely on who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. God looks at us as though we have lived the perfect life of Jesus Christ. For those who have placed their, their faith and trust in, in the work of Christ and what he did on the cross, not adding the law to it, not adding works, not thinking they're saved because they're good enough, but those who truly, through the law of God, see how wretched they are, see how incapable they are of saving themselves. To those people, God doesn't see us as, as what we are, how he created us, and his sovereignty, what he's allowed our lives to go through. It doesn't matter if you've lived this, you know, really awesome, you know, ethical life. It doesn't matter if your whole life, if you spent 40, 50, 60 years of your life just living an absolute train wreck of a life. That's not what matters to God. What matters is you've broken his law, but for Christians, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty that I deserved, that you deserved. In Galatians 3.28 is a reminder of that that there is nothing to God, nothing that, that justifies us to him, nothing that makes us more valuable or less valuable to him. It's not about the works that we have done. It is about what Jesus Christ did. And that is our identity. Our identity isn't found in our gender, our, our, our lineage, our social status. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, our value is found in Jesus Christ alone. So I hope that helps better explain what's really going on in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It's clearly not talking about homosexuality. It's clearly not talking about gender identity. It's talking about the goodness of our God through sending his son to take our punishment 
so that we could be set free, so that we could be children of God, so that we could be considered the sons and daughters of Abraham. So if this has helped you, uh, help, you can help me out by liking the video. You can help yourself out by subscribing to the channel so that you can be uh, notified the next time another video goes live. Uh, there's a little bell icon somewhere around there. If you hit that, you will actually get like an email or something that will let you know as well. Um, and you can also help people around you. So if you found this valuable, then share it with others and help them to understand not just what a single verse means, but why it was said, what, what the whole context of this Galatians chapter three is talking about. And finally, I just want to thank those who have been supporting me on Patreon. Uh, your monthly support really helps me be able to uh, just be able to focus on this ministry and just create basically one big giant resource for you to not just tell you what to think, but equip you to understand all the aspects of the Christian life. So if you would like to join uh, those in supporting me, you can do so for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash onward in the faith. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Amrit in the faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash Amrit in the faith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ. 